Jupiter, mate. Is that thing a flea? No, it's a horse, mate. <laughs> a horse? Yeah. Take his hat off. Yeah. You're right, it is a horse. <laughs> well, well, where's the flea? He's on the horse, mate. <laughs> I thought he'd get here quicker that way. <laughs> I see. Now then, as he's not riding side saddle, I presume he's a male flea. So now, will the flea, will the flea raise his right leg and swear to tell the truth? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, Mr. Peeps, will you please take the, the flea in the palm of your right hand and see if you can identify him? My lord, I can honestly say I have never seen this flea before in my life. I claim that he is a foreigner. September the 2nd, 2023. Recorded an episode of Goonpod with special guest Donna Reese, in which we enjoyed lively discourse and debated the many merits of the classic Series 7 Goon Show episode, The Flea. Later directed my steps to the apothecary and complained that the ointment he sold me has still not stopped the itching. It's one of those episodes where I find the plot for some reason really hard to kind of absorb. Yeah, it's a... but I suppose it doesn't really matter, does it? I guess, but well, no, and I don't really. I've never really bothered with the plots or trying to understand <laughs> until I've been doing this podcast, and then you have to cl- pay cl- closer attention to the script and to the the actual words being spoken. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's, I mean, the Green Slade story, the first one that I did, it, it, it's a very linear plot, really. The Green Slade story, it's really easy to follow because it's like a star is born at the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yes it is um but the other ones are far more chaotic so had you I thought, I was had you heard the Sorry. flea before no no i must have done my dad had pretty much all of them and would play them often but i don't recall the flea because i always maintain and I, you probably won't agree with me then from what you said but i always maintain that this would be the perfect episode to introduce someone to the goons Yes, it it does have all the elements that you sort of love about them. The uh, and just the orchestrations, you know, the uh, Angela Morley's music yes. is just fantastic. It's so good. Yeah, and it must have given Spike such a lift, but also a lot of pressure at the same time because everyone around them was brilliant. Yes, they all seem to be on their A game for this set for this recording. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I will formally introduce you. And say, okay. say, welcome back, Donna. Thank you. Um, it's an honour. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> yes, well, it's um, it. I, I tell you, like, like you said, you know, last time you were here was to talk about the Greenslade story, and that episode of of Goonpod went down extremely well, very popular. Um, wow. Uh, and uh, and so I was keen to get you back and to talk about a show that I think is almost 
almost as peerless, if that makes sense. Um, personally speaking, anyway, I think The Flea is a brilliant episode of The Goons, one of the strongest from Series 7. Um, and it was released on uh, LP, on a, one of the BBC LPs in 1977. And the A-side was um, the episode recently voted goon pod listens number one goon show of all time napoleon's piano oh that's my dad definitely would have had it on vinyl yeah definitely so i must have heard it back in the day yeah definitely yeah oh and by the way um i'll just get this out of the way now actually i was going to say it at the end but um because i'm talking about <clears throat> the, the listeners number one goon show at the end of this year probably around new year's eve i'll be counting down uh another listeners top 20 um this time it's the top 20 Peter Sellers films. Um, wow. I don't know, did you did you give me yours on Twitter? Did you? Uh... I haven't yet because I was I was thinking about uh, my first one was two way stretch popped into my mind. And then you keep thinking all the different characters because I think the early films are, are great. Yeah. The later ones, it's almost like the character is brilliant, but the film is not so brilliant. Yeah. Sellers was such a narcissist. It was like, oh, how can I show off in this film? Rather than thinking, oh, this is a great script and a great director and it's going to tell a wonderful story. It was, I think it was all about him and his character. Well, the earlier films were, a lot of them were much more ensemble pieces where you had some of the greats of British comedy acting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got um, people like, you know, Bernard Cribbins and Irene Handel, who might, I love Irene Handel. Yeah. And um, Lionel Jeffries and all those. Margaret Rutherford. And also also the ones who you can't sometimes, the casual viewer can't put a name to, like um, uh, Miles Mallison. Oh, um, yes. And and Raymond Huntley. People like that. Do you know what? My dad, the Internet Movie Database was almost created for my dad because he loved old British character actors. And he'd go on there and just you know look somebody up and find out all about their career you know people like mario fabrizzi and all those sorts of people yeah um yeah fantastic so yeah so so at the end of this year we'll be doing the top 20 peter sellers films i have put out a tweet about it and on facebook as well and um so if you haven't already please dm me or message me on twitter or email me tyler.adams1974 at gmail.com I'm still calling it Twitter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Me too. Me too. I, it's I've been, yeah. I'm tweeting like Matt. I mean, X. What is that? It sounds like some sort of strip club in Shirley, doesn't it, or something? <laughs> it's, it's, it's really just, naff. It's it's got this deranged new owner. Mm-hmm. Um, I I call him musky sly old foxy stoat. Um. <laughs> Um, uh, and he's taken, but he's taken, he's taken like, you know, he has taken this beloved, because it is beloved, Twitter, very popular beloved site, which worked really well and didn't oh, need yeah. fixing. And it's like he said, this, you know, this can't do. How yeah. can I make it less, less yeah. user friendly and yeah mess about with it, it? Yeah, it's perfect. So let's smash it with hammers yeah. and just yeah. spoil it. I'll just, I'll yeah. just do what comes naturally to me and, and gnaws it up. Essentially. Yeah, totally. It's um, it's I mean, all the good he could do, yeah. and he chooses to um, spend his time just winding people up with sort of juvenile yes, silliness. Yes. It's very, it's very frustrating. Yes. Anyway, rant over. 
Um, it's still Twitter. It's still Twitter. <laughs> yes. Um, so before we before we start talking about the flea properly, uh, mm-hmm. as always, I, I do try and I like to include sort of historical context and talk about what was going on in in the the, the wide wide world of of the world <laughs> the day the day <laughs> the that, whiteness yeah yeah yes the day the episode was recorded um so in this instance it's the 16th of december 1956 um and as so often i find there's not a lot there's not a lot of 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 meat on the bone so to speak um not a lot that i could find out in terms of significance that happened on the 16th of December, 1956. I guess people were gearing up for Christmas and whatnot. But, yeah. Um, th- Bit of a slow news day, was was it, Tyler? Slow news yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of things. There's a couple of in- interesting things to me. Maybe not to anyone else, but anyway. Okay, might, might be to me. What, what, okay, well, what, what happened? Okay. <laughs> now, are you a fan of peanuts? Um, fan is quite a strong word, but I don't mind them. No, no, uh, I do. I do not mean the comestible. I mean, um, ah, you mean the cartoon, the, the comic strip, Peanuts. Right. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Very sweet. Yes. I was from a very young age. I got into Charlie Brown and Snoopy. Uh, they've always been very dear to my heart. Oh. Those those comic strips. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there 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 are in the world of Peanuts there are recurring motifs, recurring gags. Mm. That you know, year after year after year, Charles Schultz would would trot out, if you like. And there's a recurring gag in Peanuts where Charlie Brown is trying to kick a football. Lucy is holding the football, the the American football, and he goes oh, to, yeah. he goes yeah. to kick it, and she always pulls it away just as he's about his foot's about to connect, <laughs> and he ends up on his ass. Right. Right. Okay. And and that's that's a recurring gag in 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 the world of Peanuts. Anyone who's got a, you know an interest in Peanuts will know that gag. Um, the the first strip with that gag appeared on this day <laughs> so Aww. very niche but i thought i'd point that out because um, there may well Aww. be there may well be big charlie brown snoopy fans out there listening to this of course i mean it was huge i mean there was a big resurgence wasn't there in the late 70s early 80s i, I recall like peanuts was like, everywhere yes it was and um well yeah i don't think it ever lost popularity but it yes you're right I seem to remember Snoopy was being used to promote jogging. Do you remember when jogging was <laughs> trendy for a brief period? Oh, yes. Yeah. And the guy who popularized jogging, I don't think he invented jogging. I don't think you can invent jogging, but whoever, whatever his name was, there was a guy yeah. who who really wow. promoted jogging in a big yes. way in the early 80s. And he, he had a heart attack and died, didn't he? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think Bill Hicks does a bit about that in his act, doesn't he? About... Oh, right. <laughs> Jim Jim Fix mm. is the guy's name. I was thinking yeah. Tom Mix, but Tom Mix is the <laughs> actor, isn't he? Cowboy actor or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it rhymes. It rhymes. Yeah. But it's it's Jim Fix. Yeah, it's just popped in my head because Bill Hicks does a bit about him being like this, you know, guru of jogging and dies of a heart attack. Yeah. It's a bit like the guy who popularised the Atkins diet. Well, I don't know what was his, was his name Atkins. I don't know, but didn't he die of <laughs> some heart related? issue yes he did mm. yeah he did um on the day now not on the day that the show was recorded but the day the show went out which was the 20th of december 56 there was a, a radio recording made <clears throat> it was an adaptation of the hg wells story uh the man who could work miracles oh. now it was produced for bbc radio by 
Dennis Main Wilson, who oh who right was the initial first Goons uh, producer. Yeah, big part of the Goons story, wasn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, but interestingly, it featured the vocal talents of Kenneth Williams, <gasps> Tony Hancock, Wow, Patty Jakes. <gasps> oh my God! How come I've never heard this? Wow, Miriam Carlin, Warren Mitchell. Um, oh, it was right. I've not read the story and I'm not aware of the story. It's a short story by H.G. Wells and it's a sort of satire on altruism, I think. Um, right. And Tony Hancock was playing the central role. Um, and fortunately, no recording exists. Oh, no. That's... Oh, what a tragedy. Yeah. That sounds... I know. Fascinating. What a listen that would be. Um, but it, it seemed to get... I mean, I've I've seen a contemporary review from when it went out. So mm-hmm. in, in one of the newspapers, and and it said, um, it said Tony Hancock in the title part was superb, but of course there was the danger that listeners' pleasure might be marred by the comedian's voice constantly recalling Hancock's half hour. It was it was therefore surely a mistake mm. to include theme music from Tony Hancock's series and also have in the play's cast another actor with a distinctive voice heard regularly in Hancock's half hour. These failings apart, the man who could work miracles made for very good listening. So, so obviously he was referring oh. to Kenneth Williams, I guess. There, um, being yeah. But what, I don't why would they use theme music from Hancock's Half Hour? I mean, that, that is really weird, isn't it? Laying on with a trowel. That's like that is very strange. It's, yeah. Um, it's... I do have one sec. One sec. I'm just gonna. I've got Kenneth Williams' diaries here, actually, as every oh. sensible person should have. I've yeah, I've got a copy to hand. Um, there's a little. He, he briefly mentions it in his diary. Um, so he says, um, Thursday, 20th of December, 1956, Tony didn't, I wish I could do the voice. I'm not going to try. (laughs) Tony didn't do as well as I did, as I anticipated. He failed to come up at the end. And I know it was because he didn't believe in what he was saying. If he is philosophically opposed to the script idea, he doesn't seem to be able to perform it. He has got sincerity for life and sincerity for work hopelessly intermingled and merged. So there you go. Mm. That's a very harsh criticism, isn't it? But I suppose, you know, acting and being a a comedian, that they are very different disciplines and it's a very different mentality. I think um, comedians have a very kind of lone wolf mentality um, and actors have a kind of communal mentality. True. So it's it's very, very different. Maybe that's why it was kind of easy for Hancock to sort of shed all those people, which he should never have dropped Gorton and Simpson. And, but, you know, getting rid of Sid James and he thought, you know, I don't want to be seen as a double act and all of this and I'm going to go it alone. But he, he had, I suppose he could bounce off other people, but Sid was such a good foil for him. Well, I don't know enough about Hancock to to speak with any, oh, okay. with any degree of knowledge, but I, I, my feeling is that it was... It was egotism. Um, yes. You know, he felt that he, he was the star. He didn't need those people. You felt that that face-to-face interview was the turning point mm. that gave him this sort of sense of importance, which maybe, you know, inflated the ego a bit too much. And yeah, that was I think that was the first time a, a, a comedian had been taken seriously like that in a, in a kind of very yes. in-depth, very serious interview. You'd you'd expect. I mean, obviously they they wouldn't. I know that it was John Freeman, wasn't it, that did those 
interviews. Yes. And he had yeah. he had Gilbert Harding famously and, and, and others. But it would have been interesting if Spike had been on that. You could imagine oh. the fireworks <laughs> or the, 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 the revelations or the, 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 the sort of naked honesty that Spike would have brought to that as well. Um, yeah. Just on Hancock, I gather you're you're a big fan generally. Is that right? Yeah, I do, I, I do I do love the uh, do love Hancock's half hour. Yes, very much so. See, I still think even today, those scripts and everything that the best episodes have just still stand up so well. They're so good. See, I've got a I've always said this. I've got a tin ear for Hancock's well for Hancock's half hour. I've I've tried. I've really tried, and I love Steptoe and Sons, so it's not that I'm against yeah. Galton and Simpson material or anything like that, or they, they don't make me laugh. I just, I've struggled with Hancock's Half Hour. I mean, everybody's different. Everyone has different tastes, so it just, just doesn't appeal to you. But I was a very strange child because when I was at school, uh, there was a boy in my class called Justin, and um, I, I went to a performing arts school, yeah. so everybody came from all over London, and I'd, I'd get on the central line and go to his house on the weekends and... I lived in West London in Ealing. He lived in Thaden Boyce, which is at the end in Essex, at the end of the Central Line, pretty much, which we used to call Thaden Bois to make it sound more exotic. <laughs> and um, we just used to go around and watch comedy videos all the time when we were about 13, 14. Mm. And we'd watch Laurel and Hardy and Freeze Frame and <laughs> the bit where um, in Sons of the Desert, where where the, the wives are in the cinema and they see them on the screen we'd just be on the floor crying with laughter and he was the one that introduced me to Hancock I'd never seen Tony Hancock before and the first episode I ever saw was Lord Byron Lives Here and that's still my favourite I mean cry, just crying with laughter it's just weird to think that two 14 year olds watch Hancock's half hour yeah a program that was at that point you know like 30 years old black and white yeah but we absolutely loved it well I absolutely I, loved it I used to I mean I, I grew up on my dad was a big fan of comedy and, and mm. mine too yeah I get it all from my dad yeah yeah but then <laughs> I had a friend when I was probably about 13 14 um <clears throat> and he'd come to mine or I'd go to his and we'd watch videos of we'd rent there was there was the one video shop or rental store in, yeah. in the town and yeah that that would let let you have really inappropriate things oh, as well I, I wouldn't know about that um <laughs> <laughs> all of that really violent horrible like oh no no because we because we would go in and instead of i don't know trying to rent i don't know rambo first blood or whatever <laughs> like most 14 year old boys and evil dead we'd be renting um and um oh nurse on wheels i remember oh my god <laughs> can you believe it which was a um i haven't seen that f since i was a kid oh my gosh that, it, it, it was um juliet mills I think. juliet mills yeah john mills's daughter yeah it, it's like um <laughs> i think it's made by the same team as the carry-on yeah yeah it was like a carry-on film kind of yeah in all but name yeah, yeah. And, and and um things like that and 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 water the the um terrible Michael Caine film. Um, oh, with Billy Connolly. With Billy Connolly. Any yeah. any film that was a com that was a comedy. Brackets British. Yeah. I mean, morons from outer space. Oh my god. Um, all sorts of things, all sorts. And I mean, and we, we, you know, we would we would get some good stuff out like Monty Python and the Holy Grail and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. but we'd just we'd spend um, 
weekends and summer holidays just inside watching videos of comedy. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 imp- and I wonder, you know, I got into the goons by accident and instantly loved them. I wonder if it had been instead of the goon show that I heard that day by accident, it was a Hancock's half hour. Maybe today this would be a Tony Hancock podcast. You know. Who knows? Who knows? Just weird things happen in life. Mm-hmm. It's just meant to be, Tyler. It's just meant to be. It is. Um. So, um, let's let's talk about the flea. This week the play is entitled I've forgotten what it was now. <laughs> allow me, allow me, you silly little nit. We present we present the flea. Ah, the flea. The flea. What's your? Do you, do you have any sort of knowledge of Samuel Pepys as such? Not really. <laughs> a, a vague, a vague idea. Uh, was he sporting with a lot of women? Yes. Implying the flea. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I I've haven't thought... read the diaries, but I, I've, you know, you, I've, I've read bits here and there over the years, or, or you just sort of absorb stuff, don't you? Um, oh, right. And I gather he was what? a sly old dog with uh, um, servants and maids. And oh, right, are, are they all written in code? Those bits? Uh, I don't think so. I think he was quite open. Um, I'm right. sure that there was a there's a passage, a sequence where how do I put this delicately? He's He's got the maid um, in a position and his <laughs> wife walks in. Oh, dear. And I think he just gets the equivalent of like a belt around the head and that's that's his punishment. And then he just carries on with uh, his day. You know, it's, it was kind of, she just My kind of, his wife, just, his wife just kind of accepted it. I might be wrong, right. but I've got that, I've got that. I've got a feeling that's one of the sort of things. And of course, famously, he buried his his camembert cheese. Oh yes, that's a yeah, that's a very famous fact about about him, isn't it? Yeah, because it was during the fire of London, I think, and he didn't want the cheese to perish. Or was that a euphemism for something else? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm burying the I'm cheese. Burying my cheese. <laughs> uh, I read a very good book on holiday recently by. Um, uh, author I, I'm very fond of Robert Harris, who wrote yeah, Fatherland, oh, yeah. and um, yes, um, it, and it, it was um, I can't even think of the name of the book now. I read it on my Kindle. It was set in this period that that this this it was it was um, it was uh, the restoration of the monarchy. It was when Charles II returned to the throne or came to the throne, oh. and the monarchy was yeah. restored. And it was about the search for what they called the regicides, the the men who had signed Charles the First's death warrant they were to be hunted down and executed right and it's about yeah. it was basically it's a it's a not it's a thriller about the the manhunt for 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 two of the sort of leading regicides um and it mentions peeps in in passing so um whatever the book's called i can't think what it's called but um, look out for robert harris's latest thriller folks so it's like a mix of fact and fiction it is yes yeah i love those sorts of books i love like um 
oh, what's the guy who writes lots of things about London? He does, Peter Ackroyd. Peter Ackroyd, yes. like quite, I love his books, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so this, this episode, it's a strange story um the flea um and it's set it's it's got a it's got a definite historical setting it's december 1665 um but i like at the beginning you've got sellers on the piano oh i love that bit i love <laughs> i love anything that's slightly strange that goes on slightly too long yes something about it always makes me laugh it's so funny it's really out of tune terrible piano sound like i'm walking backwards for christmas piano well, yeah, he he played the piano a lot, and I'm not sure how accomplished on the piano he was in real life. I mean, he was a musician. Mm. Uh, he was a very good drummer. Sellers. He was a brilliant drummer. Yeah, really good drummer. Yeah, jazz drummer. Yeah. But if he was if he was a good pianist or pianist, he was quite happy to send up his playing. He's quite yes. happy to play lousily <laughs> yeah. for the for the comedy. And then, of course, um, he gets a name check. And um, and Sellers says that he's waiting for his new car to be delivered, which is of course oh, yeah. a, a, a nod to Sellers' car. Yeah, yeah, he was a petrol head, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, the super splon reversal Centipod twelve horsepower convertible. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you probably had two of them. Yes. Well, he would he would get it in the morning and then return it in the afternoon. something to you, Wallace. No, but I'd like to do something to that music. <laughs> what? You realise, of course, you're talking of Peter Sellers, the world's greatest outdoor pianist, and voted Mr. Car Catalogue of 1956. Did you hear that? Fill up, I give you Mr. Sellers. I say. <laughs> Don't tell me you're down to that in motor cars. <laughs> no, I just ordered a new Super Splon Reversal Cinepod 12 horsepower convertible. <laughs> I was only making that noise until it arrived. <laughs> then it can do it for me. How <laughs> oh, jolly for you, Fred Seller. <laughs> Thank you. That story about him making Spike get in the boot of his car because he could hear a noise, yes. wasn't it? That was hilarious. That's so drive around and it was stopped by the police. And when he when the policeman opened the boot and saw Spike, he went, Oh, I thought it might be you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was it, because he'd given Spike a bit of chalk, put him in the boot. That's right. Oh, yeah, to put a little mark where he could hear the squeak or whatever Yeah, and the he'd be there driving over, right. driving over, driving <laughs> over, I don't know, did they have speed bumps in those days? Or he'd, he'd be... I don't think they did in those driving days. Through, driving through potholes and things, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or turning up in the middle of the night naked and saying, do you know a good tailor? Was another thing, was it? <laughs> well, that, see, we, we discussed that, that story on... Um, the episode I did with uh, Walter Dunlop on on um, Adolf Hitler, my part in his downfall. Oh, that's fantastic! Yes, because one of Spike's comrades in Bexhill would do that, <laughs> you know, turn up naked and say, "Do, do you know a good tailor?" And you wonder, <laughs> it, we 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 sort of um, theorise that Spike must have told Sellers about that, and yeah, Sellers being Sellers would obviously nick it, <laughs> nick yes. the idea. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, he just absorbed so much stuff, didn't he, Peter Sellers? He just yes, he was a, he was a sponge. <laughs> but uh, now, did you listen to the LP version of the Flea, the LP edit, or did you? Which? How did you listen to this? 
I listened to it on YouTube. Okay. A couple of versions. Yeah. Is there a... Oh, right. Was there stuff cut out? Well, yeah, the LP had quite a bit cut out. Not, no, no, not, I say quite a bit. Just bits, in some cases, just single words, you know, here and there. Um, a few sequences uh, and a few topical references. I'm not quite sure. I grew up listening to the, the LP version. And, and right. then I've listened to the most complete Ted Kendall restored version, which puts back all the stuff that was removed. Um, right. And there's there's little references. There was a reference to Lou Grade. Did you did you hear that? I heard I heard the Lou Grade reference. Yeah, I had a dig at Lou Grade. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, he's uh, seeking tells Sellers to stop sticking pins in a clay model of Lou Grade. Uh, yeah. uh, and I and obviously yeah. Sellers at the time was being represented by the grades. And I and I tried to find out if there was if there was some particular issue at that time that they were referring to. You know. Right. Um, but there didn't. I checked with Mark Cousins as well. He said no. There's the. I think it was just a throwaway gag, really. Um, right. So the the scene is set. It, it, it's December sixteen sixty five. Uh, Seekham as Ned as Samuel Pepys, <laughs> um, <laughs> and we we hear the first mention of 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 someone doing sport with Mrs Fitzsimmons. Yes, the um, sport bit. Yeah. Uh, which. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Doing sport is obviously, you know, one of those euphemisms. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm still something. Something about it. I'm still surprised that they got away with it. I don't know. What? There are so many things in the goons that you hear. You think, how the hell did they get away with that? You know, under the radar mm. that these things were not really checked, were they? No. Were they ever sort of hauled into management? and said well, you can't use Hugh Jampton and things like that oh there was plenty yeah, of reprimanded for him I think I think in the end they just I think there was a lot of effort at, you know in the first few years there were a lot of efforts to to cancel the goon show or at least um you know there were so many complaints yeah. and from from senior I was I was so shocked to hear that I remember hearing that not that long ago and thinking really I mean it, it was so popular that why would they want to get rid of it? Because it was just too anarchic. BBC management, senior management, just didn't under, didn't get it. Thought it was yeah. unseemly. Maybe it was you know still very much the BBC BBC was still very much wreathed in wreathian values. Yeah, then. and of course senior management were all sort of ex sort of officer class. Yes, and, it was disrespectful. And this, mm. this this was absolutely you know fighting you know pricking pomposity and looking at these people and taking the piss, you know, just saying these people are ridiculous. So they obviously maybe felt personally they were being attacked. Yeah. Perhaps. I don't know. No, absolutely. But, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ins insufficiently respectful. Yeah. That'll do. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so we've got Samuel Pepys, uh, yeah. Ned, he goes to Ward's coffee house. Of course, coffee houses were all the rage at that period. Yeah. And, um, and in the script, it says that um, you know the character that Sellers plays called Flower Jew. Um, oh yes, which is the, I love that character. Yeah. Now in the script it says Flower Jew for this for day day we've got Daisy who's like the um, the waitress at the yes at the coffee shop. Oh, this is and, brilliant. But it, but the, in the script it's down as Flower Jew, but it doesn't it it's kind of a to me it just sounds like Sellers doing a sort of blousy woman woman voice. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. Yeah, it, I yeah I. I'm 
surprised when you said flower dew because I know what that voice sounds like and it, it isn't like that is it no. it is a, a yeah as you say a kind of slightly fruity lady <laughs> <laughs> oh good morrow master peeps cappuccino no <laughs> just coffee daisy black or white white with a dash of milk <laughs> you tease <laughs> I love that um, and I suppose it was all, all the rage were the uh, Soho coffee bars because it was like, did, did they mention froth or something? Well, he asked for a cappuccino. Cappuccino, that's it, yeah, because obviously <laughs> that was happening at the time Yeah, yeah. in, in London. Um, and then uh, I'm just going to say Seacom. <laughs> Peeps mm-hmm. runs through the runs the gamut of goon show catchphrases such as... yes. Needle, noodle, new, splints, blands, blonde, ying tong, midlife, po, etc. And then he says, "You've now. Did you pick up on the fact there's a lot of owing in this? A lot of yes, owing. What? The, now, why do you think yes. that was? I have no idea. I was. It, there is an awful lot of that in there. What, what was? What was going on there? I couldn't work it out. Well, see, the the same month, so December '56, um, the single "You Got to Go Owl" was released into the shops. Um, produced by George okay. Martin, and it was <laughs> oh, yes, it was yeah. um, <clears throat> it was uh, Milligan. It was basically a Moriarty single, really. It was Milligan. <laughs> I don't think Sellers was involved. Larry Stevens, I think, is is playing the piano. I think nice. Eric Sykes is involved, and as I say, George Martin produces it. And it's just and it's just a, it's just a, a throwaway little disposable single saying you've got to go owl. Okay, and so <laughs> obviously Milligan is trying to promote it quite shamelessly yeah, um, right. in this show uh, because Grip Pipe and Moriarty appear there in the coffee pot, um, and Grip Pipe introduces himself and 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 Moriarty, and again this is a bit that was cut from the LP version because um, he introduces. Um, Count Jim Thighs Moriarty, minister without underpants to the Principality <laughs> of Monte Carlo. <laughs> minister without underpants, but it's just brilliant. Well, the, on the LP, there's a clunky edit. So he doesn't actually say that they cut out the bit minister without underpants to the Principality of Monte Carlo. Oh. Oh, yes, so that's you, criminal. You can... oh, what a gag well, that is. That's criminal to do that. Well, because underpants, under, underpants might offend somebody. In 1977. I don't know. Oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? It must ruin the flow of the show having all these cuts. I didn't realise they were cut so, yeah. so much. Yeah. So messed about with. That's terrible. Yeah. It reminds me of that summarising Proust sketch that Monty Python did. Mm. And they were hauled into senior management because it, the, one of the contestants said their hobbies were cat strangling and masturbation. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And they were really anti the masturbation, but cat strangling was fine. Didn't they? Get, wasn't there a huge woof of audience response to that? I, I remember. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> I, I, I even like if ever I watch the chase or something, I just long for. Well, so what do you do? What do you enjoy doing? <laughs> cat strangling and masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. And it's very similar. It's like, this is crazy. You object to this thing. Because Terry Jones said uh, to this old duffer at the BBC, uh, well, we all masturbate. Don't you masturbate? And he was just so flummoxed. <laughs> like, uh, well, I, 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 you know, just like didn't know what to say. He's arguing. I didn't over know that. that. 
violence it's, towards cats was fine. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, in America, you can't show breasts on American. Well, you couldn't anyway. Oh. But you know, years ago, you couldn't you couldn't show breasts on on television. But you could watch. Yeah. You could see somebody being shot dead or oh, have their head yeah blown off or something. yeah. It is <clears> absolutely <throat> crazy. Everything's just completely the wrong way around, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> and they managed to persuade Peeps to put them up for the night. And they discover he's a secretary to the Navy and they, they, they evolve this scheme involving Francois the Flea, who was chained to Moriarty's nightshirt. And <laughs> and the plot is... The, the, the images that go off in your brain when you listen to them are just extraordinary. It's fantastic, isn't it? It's... A... Being chained to a flea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Moriarty will contrive to get bitten. And sue Peeps for damages, <laughs> and it could also escalate to become war between England and Monte Carlo. Um, I think I think yes. that's the idea, anyway. Uh, and so we have um, we have Max Galdray. Then the ruse is put into effect, and we hear Moriarty screaming. And Peeps comes in, and, and Gritpipe claims that he's been that the the, the bedding is flea ridden, and Peeps says uh, mm. you know, the bedding's burned twice a day, <laughs> which. <laughs> Which is just a throwaway line, which I've always loved. Yeah. Oh, that is brilliant. That's a corker, isn't it? That's <laughs> so good. We we go to the law courts with Lord Chief Justice Jim Spriggs and <laughs> um, and get Wallace doing a <clears throat> fairly rotten French accent as the plaintiff's counsel. My lord, we claim damages of 40,000 golden crowns for a savage attack by an English flea residing under the roof of Monsieur Samuel Pipps. Secretary to the Navy. Ah, well acted. Now then, what is a Navy? A Navy, my lord, is an army entirely surrounded by water. <laughs> Silence! Silence, please, or I'll have the court clear. <laughs> Thank you very much. You know, everybody sort of pays a lot of attention to Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan and quite rightly, but I mean, Harry Seacombe is fantastic. His energy levels are just through the roof for every single show and he is like the glue. Yeah. He's just fantastic. Well, early, earlier in the show, I think it's when, just as Grit Pipe is, is, is introduced, I think Seacombe says something like, what, 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 you know, does his what, what, what. And, <laughs> Grit, and again, with such energy. And, yeah. and Grip Pipe says, I was only nearly saying that myself the other day, which. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I love when things go wrong and they and they throw little ad libs like that in it. It's just brilliant, isn't it? Just, just trying to make him laugh, each other laugh. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, and we have, so they need to establish Francois the Flea's nationality because that's been brought into doubt. And so William brings, brings him into court on a horse. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah. You're right, it is a horse. Um, yeah. uh, Peeps testifies that he's never seen such a flea and, and and claims, as I say, claims that he is a foreigner. And if the flea is proven to be French, I think that will scupper Grip Pipe's plans. I'm not quite sure, but anyway, somehow or other, Grip Pipe and Moriarty must find a, an English flea to substitute right. for Francois. And... Uh, they when, when they get the flea to swear, do they say "raise your right leg" or something? Oh yes. Oh, and of course we haven't mentioned the, the sound effect of the flea, have we? Which is a boing. Oh, oh the boing noise. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the sound effects department—it must have been heaven to work on these shows. Yes. For them, 
yeah. it's just uh, and of course um angela morley's orchestrations are just incredible as well i mean everybody is on the top of their game helping to make this show but the the sound effects they must have been like rubbing their hands like raw thinking i cannot wait to do this this is you know all these crazy things they have to do well in the the original script spike is quite clear that he wants the the sound effect of the flea to be very loud very clear um he doesn't want it to be you know drowned out (laughs) by music or cast conversation or anything like Mm. that so he's very clear about that so Grit Piper Moriarty attend Minnie and Henry's Flea Circus, where there's a performance of War and Peace with flea dialogue and human <laughs> subtitles. <laughs> the whole idea of that is so funny. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and it's just an excuse. It's, it's an excuse to have shoehorn in Minnie and Henry, because it could have been anyone yes. with that flea circus. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but they, they bring along a dog and somehow kidnap a British flea and put it on the dog and then go and substitute him for Francois. Francois, who is kept in protective custody and is being guarded by (laughs) Eccles and Blue Bottle. Blue Bottle, yes, yes. Um, Oh, and and Wallace assures the audience that all the flea parts are played by small grasshoppers painted black. Black, yeah, yeah. Now, the Blue Bottle and Eccles sequences hilarious yeah as we would expect um milligan really milks that you know when he when he makes his introduction as eccles he really milks the audience doesn't he the, oh yeah because blue bottle gets a round of applause <laughs> and eccles speaks and gets a round of applause and he sort of yells hey you know have you ever guarded a flea before eccles <laughs> Big job I heard. Well, do you think Blue Bottle was the only character? Uh, I mean, there were a few characters who used to get applause when they used to appear, but I think he seemed to be the most popular Blue Bottle. Yeah, it's mainly Blue Bottle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, do you think that obviously there was a little bit of a competitive, competitive edge between the two of them? You could argue that Eccles was the most popular character in the mm. Goons, but Blue Bottle <laughs> was the one that seemed to get the applause. And I don't know. It's it's. I suppose it's because Blue Bottle. Blue Bottle never was never driving an episode. He was always. Yeah, it would the, suddenly just pop up. And he would. Burn, he was one of know, the supporting randomly. cast. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd often he, he would often be announced in the sense of Seagoon would call Blue Bottle or hmm. whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? He wouldn't just arrive yeah. and introduce himself. He would. He would be. He would be announced almost, and so it's kind of natural yeah. for the audience to applaud. And I wonder, yeah, Milligan. I think there's there, there are occasions, of course, when Eccles gets a round of applause as well, but Blue Bottle, yeah, much much more. Um, mm. <laughs> I mean, you, you could argue that Eccles probably embodies the spirit of the goons the best out of all the characters, possibly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was the original goon, I think, is what yeah. they call him. Um, yeah, definitely. And. You know, I've, I've listened. I've been listening to quite a few late period goon shows recently, sort of series nine and series ten. And Sellers 
kind of is phoning it in when he plays Blue Bottle in those shows. I feel he's the the, the voice is slightly hoarser, if that's if I could right. describe it that way. Right. Um, this is real, but but Blue Bottle here is is brilliant. I will teach this nutty man a lesson. raise right leg. Okay. Now raise left leg. Right. <laughs> ah. How do you do that? Three legs. <laughs> Three legs. <laughs> How is it that you got three legs, Eccles? Or the fourth one fell off. I don't know on the again I don't know on the recording that you heard on on YouTube whether this was included or cut out but there's the bit where Blue Bottle is trying to teach Eccles a lesson so he says raise raise right leg and now raise left leg <laughs> yeah <laughs> um now in the original show Blue Bottle says oh how do you do that and Eccles kind of mumbles he says three legs right and then there's audience laughter Right, and then he sort of says it again, three legs, and I, I, I don't know if it's implying something rude or it's I don't know, hmm. but that bit, that bit got cut out, um, okay, of the LP and probably the Pick of the Goons version, because um, then we've got the the bit where Eccles uh, Blue Bottle says, "How have you got three legs?" and he says, "The fourth one fell off," which, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and Sean Gaffney who. Um, friend of the show and he's been on a number of times he pointed out that in the script but it 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 wasn't recorded or it wasn't performed but it was in the script that at this point Eccles is still laughing at um at the why did the chicken cross the road joke okay okay um, right from the show so the show before this the episode the week before was called the telephone and in that Eccles is laughing at the wrong bit of the why did the chicken cross the road joke. Okay. Right. And so in this week's, the flea script, they've written in there that Eccles are still laughing about it, which shows a bit of continuity. You know what I mean? But they, mm. they either decided not to record it or they just cut it out or whatever. But, um, nice. uh, and, and so we have this whole leg sequence and then blue bottle says, we've given them enough Terrence Rattigan type dialogue. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure. Are you aware of the work of Terrence Rattigan? Yes, yeah, mm -hmm. playwright. Yeah, he lived it. I think he lived it. Brighton. Yeah, he had a lovely house on the seafront. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah, he the was. Win winds, the Browning version and the Winslow Boy and all that. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Winslow. The only thing I remember from the Winslow Boy is one of the characters saying, I've just moved in next door. 
and this woman saying, yes, I know, we were admiring your sideboard. <laughs> I just love all those sort of rather trained actresses that play Cockneys in, oh, yes. in films. But they, they all talk like that, don't they? <laughs> Go to the foot of our stairs. I, I really would. <laughs> it's like nobody in real life really spoke like that. Harry Enfield sends it up brilliantly. You know, those Chomley Warner sketches. Oh, yes. Oh, I've been upended, isn't it? And all that. <laughs> <laughs> those sort of tugging the forelock characters. Yes. I'm perishing hungry or something yeah. like that. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> For this Ladyville repute, it's a busiest night of the week. Hello, Nelly. What's your charge in tonight, then? Sixpence halfpenny for acts of appalling depravity. One and six to fuddle duddle with me watcher call it, and two shillings to waddle up me whoops a day. <laughs> what do I get for tuppence? Mum. <laughs> but something I've always wanted to know, Grayson. Do the working classes in the East End smell? Yes, most frightfully. Thank you. You've reassured me. I won't go there. Good night, Grayson. Good night, Miss Chumley Warner. Or should I say, ta Governor? No. They decide to exercise uh, Francois, give him some exercise, and <laughs> they take his leg shackles off. Um, <laughs> and then we have a lot of boinging. And then following Ray's number, they have, for some reason, the 1812 overture. <laughs> but obviously it's, it's 1665, so that's the only reason for that gag. <laughs> Um, Bluebottom informs Peeps that the two villains crept up on them and overpowered them with a quarter of Pontefract cakes. Um, I've never okay. had a Pontefract cake, but I gather that they're ba- basically licorice. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Pontefract's famous for licorice, which I don't really like. So I've never tried one. I've never I've never been there. And no. Pontefract cake. And, and there's another kind of reference to the laxative qualities of licorice because Peeps <laughs> says they almost had you on the run. <laughs> I bet Mary Whitehouse would have taken that one out. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So gripped by Moriarty, switch flees and made off for Francois, and um, and Peeps realizes that Francois is a foreigner, must not be allowed to leave the country, or the Crown will lose the case. Again, doesn't make <laughs> sense. Um, he goes to the military barracks commanded by Bloodnock and asks him for an update on the hunt. And um, we have Spike doing that very dithering Captain Carruthers, which is a. A brilliant occasional character that Spike would do, the sort of, uh, 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 you know. <laughs> Is that based on his wartime experiences that must have been Probably. Based, exa- exaggerated, but obviously based in reality somewhere, like a lot of these things are. But it also, it also, um, it also um, wastes time. It means he doesn't have to write gags for that mm. bit. <laughs> he must have sat there with a stopwatch while he was writing, you know, because it's obviously got to fill up. Yeah. A certain amount of time, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you grip up Moriarty, uh, uh, apprehended by a company of Highlanders, uh, um, <laughs> uh, and they've but they've hidden the flea on a sheepdog, and we get the I think we get the orchestra members of the orchestra as dogs, <laughs> or certainly maybe <laughs> the rail into quartet, uh, and right, and, and the the dogs number with a with the final yelp of pain, dog number seven. And Peeps, believing he's got the upper hand, informs Grippipe that his plan has been thwarted. And then Grippipe reveals he's been reading Peeps' diary. And December the 3rd, whilst the king was away, did sport madly with Nell Gwynn. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. 
which which then the show ends with Seekum delivering a mighty owl. And there we go. Shameless plug again. Yeah. Yeah. So all in all, I mean, we've whipped through that, but um, uh, a really, a really strong show. I did struggle following the plot sometimes. It's like, it's almost like, am I hallucinating? What's happening here? Well, <laughs> it's not, it's not exactly linear, but they're they're, they're never linear, are they? are they? So no, that's absolutely fine. You just have to just go with it and just let it kind of wash over you. And yeah, you do. Um, again, Sean Gaffney has surmised that Spike must have been reading about Peeps around this period. Mm. So you think because Spike was a bit of an autodidact. You know, he, he was mm. reading a hell of a lot. And um, yeah, and I gather he was just obviously probably reading, maybe he was reading Peeps' diaries and decided, hey, let's yeah, let's turn this into a goon show. Now, why the flea? I don't know. I mean, the, I suppose because the plague, of course, was around this time and the, flea, the plague was carried by fleas, wasn't it? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. So maybe he just incorporated those two elements and decided let's turn that into a goon show. Maybe, maybe. And there's also a lot of, like, in the theatre, a lot of sort of surrealist writing coming into, like, London theatres. And I don't know whether, you know, Ionesco had an influence on Spike or... Yeah, oh, know, we did, yeah, and, and F. Simpson. Rhinoceros. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So all that was happening at, at the time as well. So that could have been a, an element of that. But um, oh, did I tell you that after the Greenslade story was uh, released online on that day, I went to Winchelsea uh, and I got some flowers and I put uh, flowers on Spike's grave. Oh, that was lovely. I just felt it, I'd been wanting to do it for a long time, sort of on behalf of my dad as well as myself, just to say thank you. And I thought, well, today is just a, as good a day as any. I must do it. So the day the Greenslade story went out, I drove to Winchelsea and and uh, paid my respects to Spike. Were you, were yeah. you on your own? With it's other, not that far from me. With other people, I took there? my son. Who there was there was no. I took my son, but there was nobody else around. It was a very windy day, so I think my flowers are like halfway to Hastings by the time <laughs> I left. <laughs> but I felt I really needed to do it because, um, you know, after everything, all the laughs that Spike's given me. It was the least I could do, really. Yeah, yeah. So, Donna, is there is there anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up? Um, not really. No, I, I just think it was a really fun episode, and yeah. it was great. I love I love hearing. I love it when things go wrong, and uh, and when they do ad lib, like um, you know, when Peter says to was it to Harry about um, nearly saying something? Yes, I very was, was very nearly saying that myself the other day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love all that. I love it when it goes wrong. It's a bit like you know when Pete and Dud kind of when he Pete locks on to Dud, isn't it, and looks him in the eyes. I am going to make you laugh. Yes. Gonna yes. Ma- I am going to make you corpse. It's like a laser. Yes. I am going to. I am going to do this. It's very. Oh, funny. let me so t- hear it. Sorry. Let, go let on. me tell you something. I'll cut this bit out. <clears throat> next week, next episode that's going out. I recorded an episode with Nick Emery. Who is the son oh, okay. of Dick Emery? Okay. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, and <clears throat> because Dick Emery's got a connection with the goons, and um, but we did, we were talking about his his dad for about two and a half hours in total. Oh, he was he was not a, a typical father. I don't think. I think they had quite a difficult relationship from what I've learned about. Mm, well, them. he he had five marriages, and 
endless yeah. affairs. Um, he, was, he was very absent a lot of the time. Uh, yeah. But what he told me, um, his dad made a film in the mid-70s called Find the Lady. Right. Well, I say he made a film. He was in a film. Oh, yes. Yeah. Now, Peter Cook was in it. John Candy was in it. Oh, Mickey my Rooney. God. Yeah, it's really early John Candy film, right? Mickey Rooney was in it. I think it was a Cana- oh my God. It was a Canadian-British co-production, I think, and it didn't do anything. It completely died, you know? Yeah, yeah. He said, but, he said, it was a terrible film, but Dick Emery um, got on very well with Peter Cook. And <laughs> on the set and off the set, they would they became drinking buddies and, you know, they'd go out and... Oh, my God. Lad. And he said, "There's a there is a tape recording that Peter and Dick Emery made, which was basically them doing Derek and Clive." Oh my God! Well, well, there is a slight similarity, I think, with Dick Emery and Dudley. There Moore. is. I think they look they look very similar, don't they? And the they voice, like is, been... voice is kind yes. of weedy as well. Yeah. Um, and Nick said he doesn't know where the tape is, so hoping oh, he can no. find it. But could you imagine that? And I said to him. Would you uh, would your dad have been comfortable doing some of that sort of Derek and Clive material? He said, "Oh yeah, oh my yeah. god, oh my gosh, that would be quite shocking to hear Dick Emery effing and jeffing with Peter <laughs> Cook, wouldn't it?" Well, Dick Emery my was born goodness. in was born in nineteen fifteen, so mm. he'd have been by that point he'd have been sixty sixty one sixty two something like that. Whoa, whoa, oh my god, yeah, oh. I know people, when I was at drama school down the road in Swiss Cottage, lots of people say, I've just seen Peter Cook walking around Hampstead with a load of newspapers under his arm. And I was like, shit, I never get to see it. I, I, saw, I, I spotted Bill Oddie once and that was it. The lesser spotted Oddie. But I, I never saw Peter Cook. I was see, I reckon, I, I reckon you could probably approach Peter Cook quite easily and he'd Yes, engage in conversation. Yeah. I don't think you could say the same about Bill Oddie somehow. No, I think he's quite difficult, isn't he? A mm. bit prickly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would have been so intimidated. But everything I've read about Peter Cook said he was really sweet and very nice to people who approached him. Yes. I mean, there's a famous story about him being in a restaurant and uh, Stephen Fry and Emma Thompson and all, you know, the Footlights people were at the tables before they were famous, obviously, and they, I, I don't know what they were, quite, they were doing there. But they were, I think they were performing their kind of review in London. And uh, they they saw Peter Cook and like, oh, go and talk to him, you know, because he's like the god of, you know, Cambridge yeah. um, Footlights, you know. So they got him to come over and he, he he had dinner with them. They went out partying together. It was like, it became like a 24 hour party and they were like nobodies at this point, but he just went along with it. You know, he's just so lovely. I watched, you know. um, there was this impromptu sort of cultural festival held at lower what or upper wallop. Yeah. Middle wallop. Middle wallop. Yeah. A week, a weekend in wallop. That's yeah. It. With Rick, Rick Mail, Billy Connolly, yes. Smith and Jones. Yeah. All those people. Yeah. I, I videoed it. I was obsessed with comedy then and videoed the whole thing. Because you've got uh, Peter Cook and <laughs> Mel Smith doing yeah, a routine. Synchronised swimming. As lesbians. <laughs> a lesb- lesbian synchronised swimming team. Yeah. I want to make this clear as well. We do not hate men. No. We do not hate men. We feel sorry for them. We pity them. We pity them. I mean, all that beer swilling oh. camaraderie. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit earlier on, we were in the pub, right? And yeah. it was teeming. I mean, oh, teeming. Boozing, oh, you know, well. arm wrestling, oh. 
bar Tra- billiard bar play, billiard dancing, boat, yeah. uh, yeah. hooligans you know yeah. and frankly I, it was um, it was quite nice wasn't it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, disgusting yeah disgusting uh, is just, what i meant well that's right and just thank god thank god that we, we were able to turn to each other for sucker for for sucker for, for sucker we can always Turn to each other. That's right, you're always dropping around for a little late sucker. For that, yeah. You see, we enjoy the simple things in life. Yeah, we, we like simple things like nature. Country rambles. Synchronised swimming. <laughs> I mean, he, he squandered so much of his talent. Not, I say squandered, he just didn't. He, he got involved with so many projects that just weren't... Yeah. I think he knew he peaked so early in life yeah. that he could never he always said the one leg too few yes sketch was like that was comic perfection and nothing he could ever do would ever really top that so once you have that realization i think it's very difficult and he obviously had a few demons and yeah struggled i think like a lot of public school boys i think he was dumped in a you know public school and his parents went off to you know, his father was a diplomat and they went off to Africa for like 18 years or whatever and just left him. Um, So that's quite difficult to cope with, I imagine. But um, yeah, I think it's it's so sad in a way he didn't live a little bit longer because Chris Morris, that stuff he did, Mm. the stuff he did with Chris Morris, I think is really up. Chris Morris is probably the only contemporary funny person to really go toe-to-toe with peter cook and match him oh yes for, for comic invention he wasn't he had no fear i think anybody else would have been scared yeah it's <laughs> just be, be like totally in awe of peter cook and you don't get that sense from on chris morris he just sort of went for it and some of the thing ideas that came out of those why bother yeah. sketches yeah. are just and, fantastic and, and, and the clive anderson um interview Oh, that was brilliant that he had that sort of last hurrah on television yeah. and was really on top of his game. I mean, I think the football manager character is just—it's <laughs> just really, it's just brilliant. He looked really healthy, and he was—he obviously put a lot of effort into that. Oh yeah, and um, yeah. and uh, that was wonderful to see that. Uh, definitely, and I'm very far. I know he—he would turn up here and there. He's—he's—he's he's, he's in a couple of episodes, I think, of early. Whose line is it anyway on television? Yes, and he, he's he's obviously pissed as well oh, on yeah. those shows. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's slightly out of control and a very drunk. <laughs> and and, um, and and the first episode of Blackadder, the the first series of Blackadder, he's, he's Richard the Third. Yeah, yes, he is. Yeah, he gets killed very early on, <laughs> and he comes back as the ghost. <laughs> um, yeah, but then of course he would like he would do he he did that terrible show Revolver. Um, and uh, and where do I show. where do I sit? Which was like a kind of a t- oh, attempt that at a was terrible. chat show. And he did an American sitcom. Oh, was he a butler? A butler. And Elaine, I'm thinking was Elaine, Elaine Stritch. Elaine Stritch. Yes, Elaine yes, Stritch. Yes, and I I think it's interesting. It's a bit like Spike and Peter. This kind of professional jealousy. You know, were they jealous of one another? Uh, obviously, Peter couldn't write like Spike, but Spike didn't have the abilities that Peter had to go on and become a megastar in Hollywood. And similarly, it's like Peter Cook was the the, the genius mm-hmm. comedian, but just he just on screen, he, he didn't have the kind of every man thing that Dudley had. Dudley was the better actor. 
because Peter, I think, had these really dead eyes. You know, you've got to be able to convey emotion through your eyes. And Peter Cook's eyes are like a great white shark's eyes. They yeah. just don't emit, emit emotion. Um, but um, so I think there was a little bit of je- and some people, I think Stephen Fry said, oh, he wasn't jealous of him. He was happy for him. And a lot of people thought he was that, you know, it seemed a bit unfair in a way that yeah. here, here am I. They were both hugely talented. I mean, Dudley Moore, you know, musical genius and very funny. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you hear those some of those Derek and Clive sketches. Dudley Moore is mm. being battered, verbally battered. Yeah, I think. I think the later ones, there's a there's a real nastiness to them that yeah. isn't funny. Yeah. The, the, particularly um, the film, I think there's a... I love all the really stupid ones, like, I saw this bloke the other day, and and he goes, you saw this bloke, and he just attacks him yes. for no reason. Yes. Yes. I think that's my favourite one, because it's so uh, it, strange. And his vo- uh, Cook's voice is, is croaky, because he's, it's like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's laced with alcohol. Fags. Yeah, yeah drinking and smoking millions of fags and yeah and it's like i wasn't in the least bit interested <laughs> right. and then he switches it up and goes all right then i saw this woman then he goes that's better now you're talking <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what <laughs> i love the um the dead pope the bit where he thinks he's he believes he's turned on, on. yeah on the catapult yeah. Turned on by dead popes. Like, oh dear. Um, the, yeah, some of the, some of them, some of the Derek and Clive stuff is is really kind of, oh, but it's it's. I love the little touches that Cook brings to those to those dialogues where he he, he would just toss out random little things like he he name checks Verity Lambert, for example. <laughs> it's the it's the little details, the odd word thrown in. It's a bit like when he did that. Here comes the judge for um oh, uh, the secret yes. policeman's ball mm. and he went they they were the first show they were criticized for not being satirical enough and peter went away that night wrote that monologue yep. and it just took off the next night he did it and it was amazing and i remember michael palin actually saying that it's the little de- the, the words that he adds it was like a self-confessed, self-confessed. layer of yes Player of the pink obo. Pink obo. <laughs> <laughs> it's the self-confessed thing that just somehow makes it <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah, we've we've strayed off into we have totally being a cook po- podcast. Um, <clears throat> oh okay, well, Donna, Donna, listen, yes. um, I'm going to keep all that in, by the way, because um, I think you know. Oh no! What? Oh, it's okay. Do, do what you have I'll to edit. do. Tyler. I'll edit bits. Yes, um, yes. So, Donna, listen, it's been brilliant. Um, I can't remember. Did we agree that you you were going to come back sometime and do a film, or was well, what did we oh, what did we say? I can't remember this. I think I think we mentioned about. I I sort of mentioned about Peter Sellers' sketches with Irene Handel That's and right. things like that. That's right. Um, yes. Yeah. So we could. Um, Maybe next time, next year, sometime, come back and talk about sellers and handle. Oh, sellers and handle. This just <laughs> sounds like a solicitor's. Um, oh, that would be brilliant. I'd love to. Because love to. because we could we could yeah we could because you know obviously there was the, the, the there was the LPs that um, she was on but also you know he worked with her a lot in film. Obviously she's Mrs. Kite. 
Oh yeah, I love that picture of them on the mantelpiece. Yeah. Their wedding photo is just priceless, isn't it? Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. One of the few people I have an autograph. I actually have a signed picture of Irene Handel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, last time you were on, I think I told that story about the um, metal Mickey. Um, yes. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> I love stories like that. That's so funny. I have to tell you, my son, who is, he's wonderful, he's autistic, he really loves, uh, it's funny because he doesn't always take to things, you think, when you think, oh, he'll find this hilarious, and he's just completely blank, but he loves Spike Milligan singing Yesterday. Oh, okay. <laughs> have you seen that clip of yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. He thinks it's <clears throat> hilarious, you know. And it's like, you know, it goes, I'm the half the man I used to be. And it's just like half of him. And he's he it looks like he's invented glam rock because he's got a big wig on. He's got like like um sort of shiny stickers on his face or something. Yes, yeah. Well <laughs> so, so, I mean I know <clears throat> that was Spike's favourite Beatles song. Um oh, was in fact, it? I think it was his, one of his favourite songs, full stop. He would Oh really? Yeah, yeah. He would often he would often hum it or sing it here and there you know I, I heard him before singing i think it was on like the des o'connor show or something going yesterday someone came and took my stove away <laughs> <laughs> he does a routine about um on one of the chat shows he was he was moaning because one of his pet peeves was muzak or hold music on when you, mm. when you phone a oh yeah phone a so company and, and uh, i know he's used yesterday to illustrate hold music you know oh okay um, but but he no but he does love the the song so your son's what is he? He's thirteen. He's thirteen, and he loves. Um, he loved that uh, seeing Spike singing Brilliant. yesterday. Brilliant. <laughs> good, yeah. good. Okay, Donna. Well, it's been a blast. Thank you so much, and um, we will return next year and talk about Sellers and Handel. Wow, lovely! I can't wait. Thank you so much, Tyler. <laughs>